was he wanted me to open up. Sorry. <laughs> and, and function from his breath in me. Fully. A hundred percent. No more striving. Uh, no more doing it my way. Even though my way was what I, my striving was to strive to do his will. And I was doing it. And I was doing it well. And so in retrospect, which is always 2020, I realize the process that he's brought me through to bring me to today, to where I understand his rest. And I understand that I, going forward, cannot go forward. I can only go forward through that place of rest. Okay? And so, as much as I, I wish that this teaching was just solely about his Ruah and his Nuah and his Manawah, God took me in a different direction because I feel like this is a word for us as intercessors today. But it stems, it is birthed out of an understanding of his breath, which is his rest. Okay? Does that make sense? So I have to just lay the groundwork here, and, and I'm, I'm telling you this, that this is probably going to become an, an, ex an, an expanded teaching or discussion in the very near future where we go back and we reflect and we, we, we study once again the understanding of the Ruach and of the Nuach and of his actively abiding rest, his breath, and how it is from that place that we as his Nuach, Pneumatikos people are sent forth and function in all that we are and all that we do. And so how that looks, it may be through a season's broadcast, I don't know. I just know that that, that has been a point of discussion and that excites me. Because that bookstore in there is gold. I mean, I, I that is my library my study alongside scripture we all from where we are today should always when God begins to breathe fresh words to us reflect back on what he has taught us in the past from a pneumonicost standpoint we must do that that is our line upon line and it's so important that we don't forsake what he taught us 10 years ago when we move forward in the deeper understanding of it and I love that about him because it is line upon line and so today, we're going to launch forth from just, I'm just going to breeze through really the foundation of where we're going with the Nakam. And uh, we're going to begin with um, talking about the Sabbath and what that is. Now, for the church, I think that they, they typically say that Sunday is the Sabbath, right? Or maybe Saturday, whatever the case is which has always kind of baffled me because I know it's supposed to be a day of rest, but if you're in any measure of ministry or a part of this body, Sunday is not necessarily the greatest day of rest for us. But it is, if we understand that, you know, really what that rest is. And so let's look at just foundationally what that rest represents for us, and then let's launch from there as we go into the topic of Nakam, okay? So... Most of, I think, the church associates rest with getting refreshment from weariness, 
really we associate it with our human existence, our physical frame. We're just tired and we need rest, right? But when you look at the first issuance of rest, the first few issuance of issuances of rest, they all apply solely to God. Well, to God and then through the command for us that we rest on the seventh day. But so we, we have to know that because scripture says that God neither sleeps nor slumbers, he does not get tired, he never wearies in doing his will or seeing his will um, fulfilled. It's really not feasible for us to think that his rest is about frailty for him because he's not frail, right? And so um, it's really not the way the church envisions it. And so the first issuance of rest is found in Genesis 2. And uh, I don't believe I gave you this, this scripture, but it's, it's the first issuance, and it's when he created the earth. And he says, the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And on the seventh day, he ended his work. And he rested on the seventh day from his work. And God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all of the work which God created and made. And so this word for rest is the word Shabbat. And it comes from the word um, Sabbath, right? Now, if any of you have watched, watched The Chosen, which I have advertised, because <laughs> it's really good, they talk a lot about Shabbat. Remember, Peter was not allowed to fish on Shabbat. It was the biggest deal that they did not work on Shabbat. Shabbat, or the Sabbath, is a day of active blessing, but it's not necessarily a day where we toil in the midst of occupation, right? It's a day of active blessing where the purpose of God is reflected upon, contemplated, and activated, positioning us into a, into, into a, um, the perspective of moving forward into a new and creative work. That's literally what the Sabbath represents. It's the seventh day. It represents the ways of God. But it is a day of reflection, a day of supply, a day of joyful and proactive preparation to move us forward into the creative work that God has ahead of us, for us. And so, you know, I think about the church and I think about, you know, you think about the Shabbat meal. That, that was a huge big deal for them. Well, who prepared the meal? And where was their Sabbath? You know, where, they was working, right? So everything that you do on, this, on the Sabbath in this time of rest is geared toward God's purpose. It's geared towards the celebration of what he has done. It's reflection. It's joyful. And it is really a celebration of what he has done and really commune with him and preparing us to move us forward into the new and creative work. And so the next issuance of rest, the word rest, was just... Um, it was in Exodus 20, which is a passage that I did give you on your sheet. And it speaks, he is giving us the command. The seventh day is a Sabbath of, of Yahweh your Elohim, and in it you shall do no work, no son nor daughter, no manservant nor maidservant, nor the cattle nor the stranger that is within the gates. For six days of Yahweh made the heaven and the sea and the earth, 
and rested on the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed his Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. He sanctified it. And this word for rest is the word nuah. Nuah. Now we understand from our study in the past of the breath of God, his spirit. His spirit in scripture in Hebrew is translated as ruah. That's the spirit of God. Nuah is the spirit of God, but it's the actively abiding spirit of God that rests upon us. Okay? And so when we honor the Sabbath, when we step into that place of rest that is sanctified, we are literally receiving the actively abiding breath of God within us to prepare us for the creative work that he has ahead. Okay? This is like 101 stuff, I know, but still. I want every day of my life to be a Shabbat. I do. And that's what God is trying to, has been really working in me, is, 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 is to, to really posture myself to receive, to be filled, and to dwell in his actively abiding presence, in his breath, and, and, and not move forward in anything else other than that. Not to strive, not to in my own way, and, you know, this really came to a head um, about a month ago when I was preparing to go to Santa Barbara to see Noah and also to minister with the young people there at the Olive House. And I was preparing to go. I was preparing my heart, my spirit for whatever God had. And when I began to have conversation with those, the leaders in that church, I realized that nothing that I had planned, nothing that was normal for me going there was in place nothing <laughs> and I, I, I almost cratered because I thought wait what's happening here but God was in it he was so in it because he was teaching me Monica you're not <laughs> this is not your project this is not your ministry this is my ministry this is my battle this is these are my sons and daughters and he really set me with the understanding and with a revelation that I had in my own thinking what it was supposed to look like because it's the way it's looked the last eight times I've been and the expectation and the anticipation and you know the blessing and all of that that totally touches my heart when I'm able to be with those young people didn't look like that going into it and I struggled and I strived and I you know I probably got a, a little giddy up in my hip from wrestling with God because I'm like look I set aside this time I set aside this money I set aside my heart my spirit I'm giving everything I am to this what is happening and I went into Santa Barbara or into California and I spent four days in absolute warfare and what, I, you know, there's a longer testimony there, and I don't have time to go there, but I was not going forth in his re from his place of rest. And so that, that's just one instance where, where he really brought that understanding to me. And I realized I never want to exist outside of that. And, you know, God is so long-suffering with us. And I know our intentions are so pure when we go into these nations and you know, we really sanctify ourselves. I mean, we do everything we need to do before we're sent forth to go and just be prepared for anything. But sometimes it's really easy to make the plans yourself. You know what I mean? 
anyway that's 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 another story so I love the part about the sanctification he sanctifies this place of rest for us and I think about you know what sanctification really is it's like we accept the Lord we receive him he comes into our, he, he comes into us and he dwells within us that's his promise that's what he does when we receive him and when he dwells within us his nature the nature of who he is becomes part of who we it, it becomes who we are that is the process of sanctification it's like he's in me and 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 my awareness my spirits connect with who he is within me causes everything within me to yield to the process to make me like him and as I do that I become sanctified and I become righteous and I become a righteous vessel of him and from that place of righteousness that spirit within me is empowered it empowers me is I begin to minister and I minister righteousness but it's that process of sanctification you know and we're saints and we've well once again this is 101 but it all intermingles with this place of rest and who he is in you and to recognize that his breath dwells within you and it's from that place that that he wants to function as first fruits individuals you know we 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 know in scripture that it talks about in Ezekiel I think about how those that offer the best of the best of the best the new of God will rest upon them rest upon their house we're a first fruits people we're a Pentecost people it's the it's the feast of first fruits it's a feast of Pentecost the church was birthed on that day and so um, yeah so one of the words that the Lord spoke to me um, about this was out of Exodus and I may have referenced this a week or two ago but Exodus 33 um, beginning with verse 12 we're gonna read this this is about Moses you know everything about Moses about his commission about his partnership with the Lord was established and rooted in relationship with God I love that and I love I love these passages of Scripture so beginning with verse 12 it says and Moses said unto Yahweh see thou sayest unto me bring up this people that's his commission deliver this millions and millions of people and yet thou hast not let me know who you will send with me see God knew him but he wanted to know God yet thou hast said I know thee by name and thou hast also found grace said I have found grace in your sight now therefore I pray thee if I found grace in your sight show me now your way that I may know you that I might find, find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people and and God said to Moses my presence will go with you this is his face it's not his breath but and I will give you rest now to me I, I, I remember when the Lord showed me this and I read it and I just thought that is such an odd thing if you look at it just from the understanding of what we think rest is so God is saying I'm gonna show you who I am Moses is crying out I want to know you more Lord show me your glory and all that stuff because I don't want to go I can't do this if you don't go with me and at the root of all of it I need to know you that should be every one of our cries 
And God says, my presence is going to go with you. I, my face is going to go with you. I'm going to guide you through, and I'm going to give you rest. So don't worry. It's, it's a big task, Moses. That's a lot of people. They're going to complain. They're going to cause you all kinds of trouble. But I'm going to let you rest. So don't worry. You won't get tired. That's not what God was saying. God was saying, my actively abiding presence is going to rest upon you. And as long as you have that, which is my, the, my very nature, will dwell within you and will guide you and will lead you. Because let me just tell you this. His rest is the way we learn from him. His rest is the way he shows us who he is. It's through his rest on the pathway that he has it on has us on just like Moses he leads us he guides us he instructs us he teaches us he empowers us through that place of rest in his presence his abiding breath that's within us amen amen so we want that we, 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 that's everything to me. It's knowing him. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to segue a bit, and we're going we're gonna to backtrack in Scripture, but we're going to continue in our discussion of the new walk, and we're going to talk about Noah because we all know that Noah's name is new walk, right? So God named him literally his name literally embodies the Nuah, his identity, who he was, who God created him to be. And in the timetable that God brought him onto this earth, all of that is very significant. He followed God. He obeyed God. He was fully committed to Yahweh's plan, no matter how impossible or foolish it looked. I mean, you think about it. And so at the core of his existence... He was there to abide in the breath of God and in the commandments of Yahweh. And so I want us to look at Genesis 5, verses 28 and 29. And this is when Noah was born. And this is the first thing that Noah said about Noah. Nuah. He says, And Lamech lived 182 years, and he begot a son. That in itself is a miracle. <laughs> and he called his name Noah, which is Nuach, saying, The same shall comfort, and this word for comfort is the word nakam, and it's really the, the main topic of this teaching. The same, or he, Nuach, will comfort us, which is the Lord, concerning our work and the toil of our hands so he say, he's saying about Noah that Noah will comfort or nakam the Lord concerning his work and the toil of his hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed now when Noah was born obviously the world was in a mess right physically spiritually um, mankind was frolicking with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. They were committing abominable acts in the sight of God. Their judgment was whatever they wanted. Whatever was pleasing, evil was vividly portrayed 
upon God's creation upon the earth and the earth um, and obviously restoration was the operative word in the heart of God during this time and really for the calling of Noah was Noah birthed created and born and brought into the earth for that purpose you bet and did God call him Nuah for that purpose you bet because Nuah was created and called to comfort or to calm the Lord in the midst of the deliberations of destroying the earth and 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 starting fresh right so his intent was for him to minister to and with God in this measure of nakam and we're going to talk about what that means in just a minute just a minute okay no let's talk about it right now <laughs> nakam this is just so interesting to me it it literally means it's like a deep breath okay i mean it literally translates in the strongs as like a deep breath or a sigh okay you guys ever sigh Never. you know it's so funny in my household i'm gonna tell this of myself i sigh all the time my son noah sighs all the time and in the midst of quarantine when he was home for three months I began to notice that we both sighed all the time. I, I know, that just sounds ridiculously crazy, right? Like I began to, you know when you start to notice something about somebody and then it's like every time they do it, you're just like honed in on it? Then I realized I did the same thing. And so now Olivia is living at home and every time I sigh, I feel her eyes on me and she's like, what? What? What, mama? What? <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's crazy that in this season, that has become a revelation to me. Because what has happened is in the midst of God establishing this place of rest, and when I'm not just speaking of myself, I'm speaking of the body. Establishing us in this place of rest, where we are on the earth in the midst of a dark world, he is really preparing us through that place of rest to minister to him, to comfort him, to agree with him, and then to come. The nakam is a sign. It's a deep, it's like a deep expression. Let me see if I can find the, exa- the, the definition that was in the um, Pastor's Breath book. To sigh or to breathe hard after the needs of God on behalf, on behalf of his intended purpose and to see it restored. So the nakam is like um, an expression of the breath of God that's within us that, 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 is released to not only comfort the Lord, because the Lord doesn't need comfort. It's not really the understanding of comfort that we have. To, to step into a point of agreement to say, Lord, I understand where your heart is here. Sin is abounding on our earth, through our nation. I'm here with you. I understand. I'm, I'm in this place of comfort for you to minister to your heart to say that I'm with you in agreement to partner with you on behalf of seeing your original intent for this earth to be restored. That's the nakam. And it's the expression really of the nuach. It's the, it's, and, and so it's just so interesting to me that the man that God named nuach, the first reference of him says that his, his function before the Lord is to nakam. In the, midst of a pl- in, in the midst of the timetable where God was about to annihilate the earth. <laughs> right? Well, I'm telling you people, people, saints, 
intercessors, prophets, God is calling us to do the same thing. This is the hour of the nakam. Okay? Okay. Let's look at Genesis 6, 1 through 8. And this just describes what was going on. And it came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives, all of them which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit, my ruah, will not always strive with man. For that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also after that. And when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men, which were old men of renown. And God saw that there was wickedness, saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And it nakamed Yahweh, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And Yahweh said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of this earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it nakams me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here right here, we see where the Lord repented. It, it, it uses, Nakam uses two primary words, comfort and, and repent, and we'll talk about both of those. But they don't really, you know, we think of repentance as repenting from sin because we have sin as mankind. God has no sin. So this is not like, oh my gosh, I've sinned, and, and the people are now evil, and the earth is dark, so I'm going to annihilate it and recreate it. That's not it. Wait, God doesn't make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. His plan is perfect. So repentance for him, you know, when you repent, it literally means to turn, right? I think in the, the Hebrew, it's shub. But for God, the nakam, it's a ch it, it, for him, it's like a change of action. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of the perspective of his heart to say, okay, this is my intended purpose. This is what I created. I created this earth. It is now wicked. I'm repenting. I'm changing my thought process, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring flood. I'm going to destroy them all, and I'm going to start over. That's God's repentance, okay? So I just want you to understand that. So I love this because we have this double issuance of this Hebrew word, nakam, and we know that that double issuance always represents a measure of intimacy, a measure of intimate connection, and this is what I love so much about this, is that the heart of God was grieved. He sighed. He repented for making man. That is almost, I mean, that hurts my heart even now, because I know his heart is grieved today. Right? And so God created Noah to partner with him, to grieve over to Nakam with him, on behalf of the conditions of the earth in the same way that the spirit of the Lord was grieving. That is who we are. That is such intimate partnership with the Lord. To be in that place of grieving with him. To be in that place of that deep, deep expression, that deep breath, that deep sigh that says, Lord, oh my gosh, look at our nation. You wonder why I sigh all the time? It's because that's the expression of his spirit that's coming out of me. Sometimes I just sigh because there's a lot of laundry. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, I, I mean, as a spirit being, I want to be a spirit. I, I want to walk. I want to move. I want to exist in the spirit. 
I, so as new all individuals, just as Noah, we have this privilege of this deep, intimate connection with the Spirit of the Lord to connect with Him in this place of, of this nakam on behalf of this earth, on behalf of His creation. We are saints. We are called to restore. And so this is an expression. This is really like a deep, the deep cry of intercession. Okay? You know, God has an agenda. And it's his toe purpose. It's perfect. It's without error. It is the main, it is the only objective of his heart. He doesn't strive for it. It's what it is, and it's who he is. Because he's Yahweh. He is his plan. And so his goal, his intent, his purpose is never in question. It's never a mistake. It's never a lie. It's righteous because he's righteous, and that does not change. And so... Here in this story with Noah, we have this pending destruction of the flood. And we know that God is not grieving. His nakam is not because he made a mistake. Because he does all things well. His spirit lamented. He laments in the occasion where his purpose is abandoned. And where the investment from his heart, which is this creation, which is you, which is me, which is every person that walks on the face of this earth, is mislaid or wrongfully twisted. And you imagine his heart then, and I imagine his heart today. But he's with us, and he created us to partner with him, and the release of his breath, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his spirit that these things are accomplished. And so just as Noah, Noah, you know, we have this tendency to strive and to make it happen. But from that place of Nuah, where that actively abiding breath rests upon us, it not only rests upon us, it rests upon this house. We are a first fruits. We are a Pentecostal house. It rests upon this house. So this is a house of rest. This pulpit should be a pulpit of rest where everything that comes forth from it comes from that place of his abiding breath. It really is just our, our it's our spiritual partnership. And, and the beautiful thing about it is that as we embrace it and as we enter into this partnership with him, what did it say of Noah? It said he found grace. Because you know what? God responds. He responds to the ways of man. He, he responds to the actions of man. And we're going to see this through some of these scriptures. But his judgment, his judgment, his rule, his standard is, is what it is. And he will not deviate from that. And we don't find grace. We don't find the pathway of grace outside of embracing that judgment. What is the progression? Judgment and burning. 
grace and supplication. We have to accept the judgment, the mishpat, his purpose, his will. Really, we have to embrace that. We have to accept that. We have to say as intercessors, Lord, I will not come with you on behalf of your judgment, no matter what it looks like, no matter what we have to face in our nation, in our world, we have to embrace his judgment. And as we do that, his grace will come and lift us above it. It was the same water that destroyed the earth, that raised the boat up, that established the new earth. Right? And so, you know, you think, oh, gosh, you know, judgment's going to come. It is. Are we going to hide under a bush? No, we're going to partner. We have to because his rule is his rule. Is he a God of redemption and mercy and grace? Yes. And in, in at one heart of repentance, will he turn? Yes. We're going to find that in Scripture. But our intercession right now, the call of the intercessor, the cry unto God for his purpose is righteousness, is to see that rule upon the earth, right? To seek the desires of the Lord and the restoration of that. And that is the nakam. That is that deep side. That is the breath. And the beautiful thing about it is that it's all, you know, his ways are creative in nature. So we don't know how he's going to do what he's going to do. His creative function is really the desired goal of his spirit. And so what a beautiful thing that we have this capacity, spirit to spirit, to be able to flow and to move in the seven spirits of the Lord and the diversity and the, the full dimension of what that is and the creative ways of the way we're going to see his purpose fulfilled on our, in our earth. Right? That's exciting. That's so exciting. Yeah. Okay. So, I, you know, I, I reference this as, as in the days of Noah. And, you know, we're pretty much there. And, and just an extended passage of that is found in Matthew 24. It says, beginning with verse 38, For as in the days of Noah were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the man be. Now, if you read Matthew 24, which is very inspiring, <laughs> um, he talks about false prophets, he talks about false Christ, they're going to arise, they're going to deceive many, there's iniquity that will abound, there'll be abomination of desolation, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, nations and kingdoms will rise up against one another, there'll be famines, there'll be pestilences earthquakes and the beginning of sorrows do you think that we are there Amen. demonic worship is commonplace in our land people do as they will to the extent of denying the very existence of who God is TV media social issues lawlessness antichrist spirits false prophets they're running rampant our society is partnering with the demonic on just about every level our culture is saturated with evil but God is calling us today to accept our covenant responsibility for his purpose. We are covenant bearers of his breath. You are. 
And we're going to be commanded to do things that are very peculiar in the eyes of the, of the world. Look at Noah. You think he wasn't made fun of? But that's okay. We'll build a boat if he says build a boat. We'll dance naked the, the presence of the Lord into a city if we have to. Right? Okay. So we're going to just jump into some of these passages that speak of the Nakam. And, and we're going to breeze through them. But I want you to see really the power of inter the intercessor, the power of the prophet, and then the power of the kings on, in relation to this Nakam because um, that's who we are, right? And we're going to begin with Moses, the, the great intercessor and prophet. This very familiar story, Moses was in the process of leading the people through, and they were just absolutely belligerent. Now, often God will change his course of action on behalf of man's intercession and the repentance of man, right? Because he doesn't want, he, he, he wants restoration. He wants redemption, in all of the land and all of the people. And so as representatives in the Nakam, you know, we think, I sought for an intercessor that would stand in the gap so that I would not destroy them, right? Um, if my people who will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will heal from heaven and I won't destroy them. He's looking for intercessors that will Nakam. He's looking for those who will partner with him in the midst of this breath. Um, and see restoration. Now Moses was an excellent example, and we're going to read 32, beginning uh, 7 through 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made them a molten calf, and worshipped it, and sanctified, sacrificed thereunto, and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen the people, and behold, it is a stiff-neck people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make, make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians seek and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent and the calm of this evil that you have against the people. So this is Moses making deliberation, making intercession before the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm here with you. I'm comforting you. I'm calming with you and asking you to re repent or the calm of the evil that you have set against the people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed of the stars of the heaven, and this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and you shall inherit it forever. So he's reminding him of the promise that God had given. And Yahweh, the plan of God, repented. He nakamed of the evil which he thought to do unto the people. I cannot tell you how many times I have prayed like this on behalf of our nation. Like deep, deep. How many times I have cried out to the Lord just over this last season, like Abraham did over Sodom and Gomorrah, and said, Lord, I did this just this last week. If there be 50 righteous among us, would you save us? There's power in intercession. There's power in that relationship, and there's power in that connection of his breath and then I come with the Lord. And he does not want to bring his wrath. 
He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring redemption. He's a God of mercy. And so we need to remember that as intercessors because he's looking for one that will stand with him and believe. Okay? Let's look at Jeremiah. Uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. This pretty much to me describes America right now. The word which came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was, mar was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not, can I, I do with you as this potter, says Yahweh? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand. O house of Israel, at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will nakam of the evil that I have thought to do. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build it and to plant it? If, I, if it do evil in my sight, that it not obey my voice, then I will repent, or nakam, of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. You know, God's going to do whatever it takes to accomplish his ultimate plan. And us as a people and us as a nation. And... My prayer is my prayer is that we as a nation at this juncture would be as that in the potter's hand. And that I'm hopeful that the things that have the, the, the righteousness that has been established over the last number of years will remain. And I, I just have to say that I remain hopeful that as it was in Israel at this time in Jeremiah's day, that I be the one as a prophet that makes deliberation before the Lord on behalf of the Nakam of God, and that I can stand in that place and believe for righteousness, for obedience, and for, that our nation would hear the voice of God and turn from their evil. I believe that. I do. Let's look at Jonah. This is a good one. Now we know what, what, what you, we know what led to this place with Jonah and the whale and all that. But Jonah got in, he, I mean, he got into the groove as a prophet, thank goodness, and it saved Nineveh. Well, God did through the prophet Jonah. So let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto them the preaching that I bid you. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So they went through this fast. This is a wonderful passage where they talk about putting sackcloth on their animals. Everything that they had, they honored God with. They put sackcloth. They fasted. They did all those things. And it says in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 8, 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and calm and turn away this fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from evil their way, and God repented, he calmed of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. I love that. So this year, this year, I mean, as we look at these two prophets and the situation, the scenarios, you know, these prophets, God gives prophets really a voice into the nations, a voice into the nations. He gives the prophets a burden for the nations or for a nation. And those prophets are, are, are speaking the voice of the Lord, turn from evil. And so I declare this year, I don't only declare, I decree in this year of the prophet that the prophet will have a voice. The prophet will speak into the nation and have a voice and be heard just as Jonah. I mean, he walked in and he said, this is what's going to happen. In 40 days, God's going to deal with you. And the people turned. They believed him. They believed God and they turned. They went into fasting and sackcloth and God saved them. God can save us, guys. But the prophet needs to be a voice. And that voice comes from that place of Nakam. Okay? Now, I'm not going to focus on much on the next few. Um, let's see, guys. We have um, Samuel and, and Saul, and we have David and Solomon. And I'm just going to paraphrase here. Because, you know, God, God has a perfect plan. His plan is perfect. And he will do what he has to do to see that, that, that will fulfilled. He's going to do that. He's going to do what he needs to do to see that will fulfilled. And so do you think it was a mistake that he appointed King as the, uh, Saul as the first king? No. That was God's plan. But Saul was diso disobedient, right? And so what happened, what happened, we see in 1 Samuel 15, it says, he sent Samuel saying, the Lord has, has nakamed me that I've set Saul to be the king, for he's turned his back from following me and has not performed my, my commandments. And this grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And so we have this situation where the, the Lord himself repented for making Saul the king, but what happened in response? He brought David in. He brought the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ in and made him king and established his kingdom forever and ever. So God's plan, it's not a mistake, but the will of man, the disobedience of man can change it and God has to step in in a calm and bring forth a creative way to see that plan fulfilled. Right? Amen. The same with David, and this is when, you know, David had done this horrible sin, and we don't need to go into the details of it. And um, we have this verse where it talks about how he nakamed Bathsheba, his wife. And the reason why I included this is because I know that I know that in this moment when David nakamed, he was so close to the Lord that he repented. We talked about repentance. 
I believe there was repentance in his heart for what he did. And I believe that his heart in connection in that place of Nakam as he was comforting Bathsheba, who ultimately was to be the mother of Solomon, who ended up being the son of Ruah, or the son of Nuah, the son of Ruah, um, to establish the kingdom, or I'm sorry, to establish not only the kingdom, but to establish the temple, which was the dwelling place of the, the breath of God. So I said all that, and I included all that to say that God is so creative in the way that he does things. But his spirit is what does it. That, you know, the, his deep burden for his perfect intent, right? And so sometimes it doesn't look like what we expect. Most of the time it doesn't, but God's plan is perfect. Amen? Okay. Let's look at the generations. And this is about um, Jacob and Joseph. Now, we know the story here, too. Um, Joseph was gifted and had that coat of many colors. He was gifted in dreams. He was gifted in interpretation. He really did represent the sons of God. He represented in so many ways the Elishas. And his brothers hated him threw him into the pit, came back, told his father, Jacob, what had happened, and his father, Jacob, had thought that he was dead. But we know he was not dead. He had been sold um, to Egypt and became part of Pharaoh's, well, through a pathway of a lot of pain, um, ended up having incredible favor in Egypt and, and really um, the story ends really good for Joseph. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. But we see here with Jacob, he was grieved because I think deep down in his heart he knew that his son had this calling on his life. And so the pathway, the point is that the pathway can be very painful. The pathway of Nakan can even be rejected can be rejected of us because it says here that he refused to be to Nakam. Okay, so let's read Genesis 37, beginning with 31 through 36. I probably just completely confused you. And they took Joseph's coat and they killed the goats and they dipped the coat in the blood and they sent the coat of many colors and they brought into their father and said, this have we found. Now, now know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and he said, is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his sons many days. And all the sons and his daughters rose up to calm him. Really just to connect with him in that place of his grief. But he refused to be calmed, And he said, for I will go down to the grave unto my son mourning this his father wept for him and the Midianites sold him unto, into Egypt unto Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard and so I know that Jacob had this deep deep expression of mourning and those that were around him came and they tried to, to calm him but he thought at that point that it was over he was dead and there was no, there was really no comforting him at that point. But we know God's plan is perfect, and we know that God's creative ways 
brought forth Joseph and made him really a ruler, gave him favor, and ended up supplying for his family in the time of famine. So God's good. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry I'm going so fast, but these are just all so good, and I just, there's, so can you give me five more minutes? Are we okay, since we started five minutes late? Okay. Thank you, sir. Let's look at Jeremiah 31, lost sons and daughters, or sons and daughters, we're just going to call them sons and daughters. Now, I have to tell you that <sighs> this... <laughs> This right here has been something that I have prayed over and over and over and over over the course of the last number of years. It is a beautiful figure of poetry. It is very symbolic. And I just want to tell you that the Lord has heard. <laughs> because I think every single one of us who have children, our deepest cry, our deepest point of nakam with the Lord is that our children would walk with God. Right? And that as, as they're tempted by the world, that he would hear our prayers and bring them back. And so... Not just for my children. I'm so thankful for what God has done to my kids. But, you know, it hasn't been without challenge for any of us. Because our kids are the closest thing to our heart. And so the least little bit of stepping your foot outside, it has just rivets in my heart. Not just for my kids, but for all kids, for all the young people. For, I mean, really, eh, all over the world, God has brought these young people into our hearts, and we have warred a good war for them. It will continue to do that. And so, literally, this has been my anthem before the Lord, and the Lord has heard my cry. But let's just read it. Jeremiah 31, verses 15 and 17. Thus says Yahweh, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Now, one of the things I love about this is this whole principle of Rama. Because Rachel, had, you know, she's dead. She had died. And she was buried in Rama. So this, this, the symbolism in, here, in this for me, and for all of us really, is that when you come before the Lord in intercession on behalf of your kids or on behalf of anything, dear to the heart of the Lord. My flesh has had to die a million times over because he's probably not going to do it the way I expect. My flesh has had to die because even in times where it looked absolutely hopeless, his plan is perfect and he hears our prayers. And so I love that, that this is, this is set, this lamentation comes forth. And really the picture, that if you look at any commentary, is that she raised her head above the earth from the grave, and she continued. She Rachel weeping for her children 
And it says here she refused to be calmed for her children because they were not, because she, could, she, she, she couldn't see. She couldn't see them. How often do you pray for your kids and you can't see the hope? You can't see. All you see is, is from the natural perspective. Thus says Yahweh, this is what he says to her, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded. Your intercession will be heard and you will be rewarded in the way that I will bring it to a point of victory. That's what God says to us. Says Yahweh. They shall come again from the land of the enemy, and there is hope in their end. Says Yahweh, his plan, that thy children shall come again to their own boundaries, to their own borders. They are coming back, guys. Every one of them. Amen? Amen. And we will not stop lamenting. We will not stop bringing forth our measure of Nakam before the Lord and, and really in partnership with him to see that all these sons and daughters that have been plucked out are restored back into the boundaries, into the borders of where they belong. Amen? Amen. Okay. Sorry about that. This is very personal for me. Um, Isaiah 40, we're almost finished. Comfort, this is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 8, and this is really the beginning of um, the gospel. This is the declaration of the coming of the Lord, and this is really a word for us today. Um, it says, Nakam ye, or comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And so what God is, what God is saying is that God is desiring that his prophet, prophets to comfort the people, to nakam the people, okay? Speak ye comfortably, and this word for comfortably is the word for heart. It's, it's not just about the mind or the intellect. It's about the heart. So speak into their hearts to Jerusalem and cry unto her with a loud voice that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand doable for all of her sins. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill will be made low, and the crooked will be made straight, and the rough will be made plain, and the glory of Yahweh will be revealed. All flesh will see it, and the mouth of um, the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All goodliness there is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the, the flower fades, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the, the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. We as God's people, as his prophets, need to be nakami. We need to be breathing hard after the coming of the Lord. Because he is coming. He is coming. Okay? It's more, you know, for them, he's speaking into Jerusalem, but he's really speaking of the coming Messiah, of the coming Lord coming back. That is his cry. And what was John's cry? His cry was repent. The same with Jesus. It was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And so when you repent, it literally means to think differently, to comprehend, to understand differently, and to exercise your mind, but also of the heart. And so our preparation for the coming of the Lord is this nakam. It's the breathing deep after the purpose of the Lord as, as, as in the timeline of where we are is making preparations for the incoming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that, what our cry in the midst of that nakam in partnership with God and his perfect purpose is to say repent, turn in the very depths of who you are and begin to see your salvation. It's, you know... It, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. But our heart, our actions will not change unless our mind chooses to do it. Right? And that's what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. And that really, in the timeline of where we are, that is our heart cry. We need to be nakaming into the very heart of the people. And, and really believing for a change in the attitude of the heart and in the spirit of man to turn towards the God, to the Lord, and to be ready to receive him when he comes. I'm evangelizing now here. It's just... Um, okay. Our role is the remnant. I don't have time to go there, but I am going to end with the rod and the staff. We do have a very significant role um, as the remnant and, and basically what the Lord is saying here is that regardless of how things appear because this particular setting of this scripture was in the midst of judgment and, and hardship but we as the remnant in the midst of whatever darkness that we are dwelling in here upon the earth we need to be that light for God for people to see us and in the midst of that light um, we need to they need to see the Lord in us basically. Okay. Rod and staff. Psalm 23. I'm going to end with this. 23.4. Yea, they all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, f I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they nakam me. I love this. Um, you know, we know that we often find ourselves at the table, hopefully continuously, at the table of the Lord, but we also recognize that we are surrounded by the enemy. And he sends us, as his covenant representatives, into places because the valleys need to be made of places of fruitfulness. Okay? Light needs to um, turn the darkness. And we have to know that the Lord is with us in these, in these moments as we walk with him in faith. Um, this is our lifestyle, guys. This is not going to change. But what we do know as... You know, these are the days of the new walk. And we are in covenant with the, with the breath of the Lord that he gives to us his rod and his staff, and they nakam us. And what does that mean? Well, they are our instruments of nakam as we partner with his breath on behalf of his purpose being re restored. The rod represents his power and his direction. His staff represents the appropriate leadership and the solution to administrative challenges. So his power, his direction, and his leadership are directing us, and they will continue to direct us as we partner with him and his breath. And so these are good days. 
You know, we, the Lord is manifesting himself in ways that are just incredible. And I just want to encourage you to breathe deeply. Breathe deeply. And I wish I had like two more hours here because I could probably just continue on, but I know that you're weary. You need a Sabbath. <laughs> um, so this will be probably a continuing study. And, you know, it's crazy because I, this happens to Stacy and I so often. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was studying yesterday. Was it yesterday? Oh, Friday. And I was just, you know, the, I, the Lord had led me here, and I began to do studies. You know, there was a lot of scriptures to go through, and I was just parrying through all the scriptures. And I was really just trying to hear what the Lord was saying. But I knew that I knew that I knew that this is what God wanted me to bring today. And I knew that it was, it was kind of a launch point for um, some more study. And sure enough, I get a message from Stacy, And she was sharing what the Lord was showing her. And she does that regularly. But I'm reading through her email. And I get about halfway through. And she says, the Lord took me to Isaiah 40. And about the comfort, comfort ye, comfort ye. And she referenced the word nakam. And she said, how do we do this? If that's not confirmation... And I mean, immediately I texted her back, and I'm like, you're just not going to believe this. this. I'm so deep in this study about Nakam, and I mean, I don't even know if I did it justice. I'm just saying that the Lord is good. He is with us. We are, we are going to partner in the fulfillment of his plan on this earth. We are going to see it fulfilled, and his coming is near, and I'm just so excited for where we are. The, the world can tell us counter anything other than that, but I believe in the eternal plan of our Lord. And I know that at the end of the book, he wins. <laughs> Amen? So I bless you today, and I do apologize for going an hour and seven minutes. It was so good. Thank you. Uh, does anybody have a comment? <laughs> Since I gave nobody an option. <laughs>